You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, what a, uh, what a privilege it is for me to be here and to preach this Sunday and next Sunday as a part of the series that, uh, as a church, considering right now the book of Ecclesia, uh, the book of Ezekiel that uh, George has uh, set out and asked me to preach on two texts from Ezekiel, which is a great honor. I'm just uh, excited to do it. Uh, let me make a few personal comments, too. Uh, as for Shirley and me, uh, we are well, and uh, our family is very well. We're uh, very excited about that. We have eight grandchildren now, four boys and four girls, and uh, we're very busy uh, this week we went to two baseball games and we went to a, a show in Tacoma of our oldest granddaughter singing in a musical. So we have been very busy and having a wonderful time that way. And uh, we are sort of, uh, uh, sort of retired. And uh, I completed my ministry here at University Press and then afterward was uh, asked, and now I'm shepherded by a group of uh, of dear friends who uh, have formed Earl Palmer Ministry to sort of enable me to be kind of a pastor at large. And our main uh, ministry really right now is once a month from October to April, once a month, the first Monday of each month, we do a, what we call a kindling muse, where I present a theme and a text and a book and then discuss it and they make a podcast out of it. It's just been a marvelous experience. And then some other uh, assignments that, uh, that I've been taking on as well as trying to be a, a husband and grandfather and uh, do all the things that we do to make our lives uh, full. Ezekiel is a priest. I get to tell you about him today. He's a priest of Israel and he's far from home. He and his people are in ancient Babylon. I have to tell you about that. The Babylonian Empire uh, had a period in which it was the dominant, uh, the dominant empire in that whole area of the Middle East. They had defeated the Assyrians and they defeated the Egyptians. And they also uh, uh, ruined the city of Jerusalem. They put it under siege. They destroyed the temple, and they took the people away as captives. They did several deportations to bring the people to Babylon as prisoners. Some uh, 50, 60,000 of those folks were brought, and they were there for about 70 years. So it was a, it's called the exile. It was a terrifying time and a stressful time. And Ezekiel is a priest in the midst of that time. Actually, he was deported 10 years before the fall of Jerusalem, 586. We know that he, we know these dates very well. In 586, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. And 538, the Persian Empire then defeated the Babylonians and brought the Jews back. But that is a terrifying time during that captivity. And so Ezekiel is a priest and prophet during that time. And last week and the week before, you saw two texts in which Ezekiel, as a prophet of the Lord, hears a word from the Lord for his people. And the word is for the people, for the people of Israel who are captive people. Today, in today's text, 
it's the, the word from the Lord God that Ezekiel hears is for himself. He is addressed in today's text. And in chapter 33, we see that text where Ezekiel himself is addressed by the Lord. If you want to open up to page 701, you can follow along yourself and see that interesting text. Here's how it goes. So you, your RSV says mortal. Actually, the, the, the literal text in Hebrew is you son of man, but it, it means you, a man or, that I'm addressing, you son of man, you mortal. I have made you a sentinel for the house of Israel. Notice, this is a text for Ezekiel. And whatever you hear, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give it to them as a warning from me. You'll notice in this text that Ezekiel's given two main jobs as a sentinel. His first job, his first task, is to warn the people, to alert them to danger. Now, it's interesting. It's not the danger of the Babylonians. Uh, now, Jeremiah, who is a prophet during the fall of Jerusalem, his texts from the Lord are to warn the people about the fact that the Babylonians are going to destroy the city. He gives warnings about these foreign empires, the others that surround them that are going to do harm to them. And this is not what happens in this text. In this text, Ezekiel is told by the Lord that he is to be, to give a warning to the people concerning their sins, concerning their dangers of going astray, their dangers of falling into wickedness. So notice, I've made you a sentinel, you shall give them warning, and you shall say to the wicked ones, uh, you shall surely die if you stay in your wickedness. And so he is giving that kind of warning. Uh, but he also has a second task, and that is to point toward hope for them. And you'll notice that comes in verse 10. But now you mortal, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, when they say, our transgressions and our sins now weigh upon us. In other words, when the people began to hurt and they realize we are in great distress, our sins are weighing on us and we waste away because of them. How then shall we live? When the people say that to you, now he has a second message as a sentinel. Uh, you say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from their way and live. So turn back, turn back from your evil ways, uh, O house of Israel. So e Ezekiel is given two tasks as a sentinel. He's given one task to warn the people about their sins and their wickedness. And then the second task, when they begin to feel the collapse, when they begin to feel the consequences of, of the sins that, that they've been committing and, and feel helpless and, and feel they're dying, then point them to the Lord God who has hope for them. So that's his, that's his task. And then there's a third part of this. He is then, in the middle of all this, given a warning from the Lord that I'm going to hold you, Ezekiel, accountable that you do this. That you warn them and you point to them, to the future hope. And if you don't, I'm going to, I'm going to put their blood on you. In other words, I'm going to hold you accountable for them. So that's what happens in this text. He is a sentinel. And his job is to point, uh, to the uh, to uh, 
warn about their their mistakes and sins and their bad choices and to point them toward the Lord God who wants to help them live. Uh, and then he hears that he's going to be held accountable for it. When we uh, think about Ezekiel in 586 B.C. before Christ, we as Christians find our minds moving some 500 years later to another great man named John the Baptist. And you heard John the Baptist described in our New Testament text. Our minds, the moment we read Ezekiel, we have the same experience reading Jeremiah and reading Isaiah. We find our minds going forward to the first century, and we uh, think of a man named John the Baptist, who also is a sentinel. He has the same kind of role. John the Baptist is one who warns the people to turn away from evil. That's John the Baptist. And he has a baptism that they come down to uh, to ask for uh, uh, cleansing and to be and to repent. And it's, it's not the baptism of the uh, later of, of their identification with Christ. This is before they meet Christ. It's a baptism of repentance. And so they come down to the River Jordan, and John the Baptist has that role of warning them of their sins, but also pointing them toward the one who can heal their sins. Uh, take Luke the third chapter. Uh, you heard a text where our Lord is describing John. He says, what did you see when you went out to see John in the wilderness? Did you see a reed blowing in the wind? No, you saw a great man. You saw the greatest of the prophets. And uh, that's the man that you saw who prepared the way of the Lord. Uh, he fulfilled, in, in, in that case, our Lord quotes the book of Isaiah. He fulfilled that, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord. In Luke, the third chapter, we actually hear John the Baptist himself speak. And it's interesting to hear the language, a little bit like Ezekiel. When John saw the crowds coming toward him to be baptized by him, he said, you brood of vipers. It's not a very nice thing to say to this crowd. By the way, we found that phrase in the Dead Sea Scrolls among the Essene community. So maybe he wasn't Essene and had heard that phrase where the people uh, were castigated that way, you brood of vipers, uh, who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? It's a little bit like an Ezekiel text. There's a judgment coming upon you. And uh, and then he goes on, even now the axe is lying, is laying at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It almost sounds like Ezekiel. And then it goes on. And the people, as they were filled with expectation, and they all were questioning in their hearts concerning John the Baptist, whether he might be the Messiah. That's how impressive he was there down at the uh, River Jordan. And then John answered them. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I'm not worthy to untie his shoelace, the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And by the way, it becomes clear in this text, he doesn't mean fire to warm your hearts. He means fire to judge you. You think I'm judging you? He will judge you even more, he says. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the granary, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And I know I love Luke's next line after that. He says, so with many other exhortations, John the Baptist proclaimed good news to the people. Well, 
<laughs> it depends on how you look at it. It's good news to the wheat. It's not good news to the chaff. But John was that kind of stern prophet. And uh, that's what he did. And he, it's, it's true. He expected that Jesus Christ was going to uh, was going to destroy the evildoers. And, of course, our Lord disappointed him. And that's why a little later, John will say, are you the Messiah or shall we look for somebody else? And John finally realizes that Christ does fulfill what he had what he had prophesied. And it's it's wonderful that when John is baptizing at Jordan and our Lord comes down to be baptized by him at first, Matthew and Luke tell us that John said, no, no, you can't. I can't baptize you. You're too great to be baptized. I'm baptizing for those who are repenting. But our Lord said, no, baptize me. And then John gives a great statement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he does point beyond the, the axe laid to the root to the one who can heal and give hope. So John is a sentinel, like Ezekiel. Ezekiel gets that word too. When the people feel weighed down, when they feel that, wow, we have really, uh, we face death in our lives, and then they get to hear the word from Ezekiel. Uh, it's not God's will that you that you die. God wants you to turn from your wicked way and, and discover life. So, John the Baptist and Ezekiel both are playing that sentinel role. And uh, it's interesting when they warn the people away from evil, they point toward the one who can give life. But John and Ezekiel do not themselves see themselves as the life. They don't see themselves as able to solve the brokenness that they discover and that they see. They're not the answer. And both Ezekiel and John see this. They're not the answer. They get to point, though, toward the one who is the answer. You know, sentinel language is, is used in the New Testament in several places. And it's wonderfully used, this same sentinel language. The word means a man watching or watching man. It, that kind of language is used in the Greek of the New Testament, too. For instance, uh, one of the most uh, beloved passages in the New Testament, uh, we hear that word. And you, does this sound familiar to you? In that region, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. This is the second chapter of Luke, the great nativity account of the birth of Christ. There were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. This is the word for sentinel. They were, they were sentinels. They were watching over, just like Ezekiel is told that you're to be a watching man. They were watching, shepherds watching their, their, flo their flocks at night. And, and then suddenly, uh, the, an angel appears to them, and they were sore afraid. And, but they hear uh, from the angel, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy that shall come to you and all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David, just a few miles away, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Notice, these shepherds get to hear the sign. They get to witness the sign. Not Herod, and not the, uh, not the religious leaders in Jerusalem, but, a, but some foreign visitors, the Magi, and these shepherds. This will be a sign. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then as soon as the shepherds hear that and say, well, I guess we better get going, then suddenly there was with the angel, the messenger, a multitude of heavenly hosts. 
By the way, do you know the word host, literally in the Greek, is a multitude of heavenly soldiers. It's almost the same idea. Sentinels. Soldiers are guards, too. It's almost like the whole Marine Corps band and the Marine Choir is sings for these shepherds. Sentinels. These soldiers. It's literally the word that's used. A multitude of heavenly troops joined with the angel and sang the first Christmas carol. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And that's sung by this military choir to these shepherds. So, and again, we get that sentinel sense of those that are watching and guarding. The word in the New Testament means guard or watch. It's used by St. Paul. The same word is used by St. Paul in Philippians, the fourth chapter, when he realizes the Philippians are very distressed about what's going on in their, in, in their time. If Babylon is a great threat, to uh, Israel at 586 before, years before Christ. What about in the first century when Nero is the emperor? And Nero is the emperor during Paul's, almost in Paul's entire uh, major writing career. And he's in prison in Rome. The Philippians are terribly worried, very much in stress. And Paul writes to them and says, don't be anxious. Listen to this, the fourth chapter. He says, uh, Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, almost sounds like the the military choir in front of the shepherds, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, here's that word again, sentinel, will guard, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the peace of Christ will guard you and will sentinel and watch over you. And that's the word that's used, guard. The same word used for the shepherds. They guard their sheep. Here's an interesting uh, linguistic uh, curiosity. If you take the Greek language and make sometimes a one-letter choice, a one-letter change, you can uh, you can almost reverse the word. The word for sentinel here, the word for uh, watch over is literally the word, uh, it's the word falusa. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything to us, falusa. But if you take the L out and put a G in front of it, in, instead of it, instead of falusa, fajuya. Fajua in Greek means uh, someone who is escaped from the guard. And that's where we get the English word fugitive. That's why I decided to give you that Greek word. We know the word fugitive. We don't know the word falusa, which means guard, but we do know fugia, fugitive. A fugitive is someone who slipped away from the guard. He is hidden from the guard. For the shepherd, a sheep that has slipped away from the shepherd is a lost sheep. We talk about the lost sheep. What is a lost sheep? He's away from the shepherd. He doesn't know where the shepherd is. He doesn't know where the rest of the flock are. So he's, but here the word fugia, fugitive, is someone who's away from the sentinel, away from the guard. So that's just an interesting linguistic curiosity about the Greek language. So anyway, this is the word that's used. It's used for John the Baptist. It's the same idea for Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is a sentinel posted to warn the people, and he's also posted to point them to hope. 
Thank God for that. John the Baptist warns the people. He does it with spicy language. You generation of vipers. It's a little bit over, over the top. And, uh, but then he points him to hope. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points them to Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. It's funny. Uh, there's one more uh, sentinel word used by St. Paul, and it's used in Philippians also. Uh, when he says to the Philippians, wanting them not to be frightened, but to wanting them to encourage each other, in the second chapter of Philippians, he says this. So if there is any encouragement, if there is any consolation from love, any sharing of the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, being of the same soul, he used the word soul there, being soulmates with each other, having the same love, being in full accord with one soul, one being soulmates, and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, and here's this wonderful line, put others in front of you in line. Uh, put others, give others an advantage. In, in the line where you are. That's a first century saying. So he says, in humility, put others in front of you in line, and then listen to the next line. Let each of you look. Now here is another one of the sentinel words in the New Testament. It's the Greek word, uh, scopi. We get the word scope or telescope from this word. Scope, it means to look, focus. So he uses that word. Don't look at your own interests. But look at the interests of your brothers and sisters that are in front of you. You're watching their back, in other words. Watch the back of your brothers and sisters around you. St. Paul had that experience when the Christians surrounded him. At one point, he was being stoned at Lystra. And we're told that the Christians pulled him out of the city when he was being stoned. And they put their backs to the ones who were throwing stones and saved his life. So he knows what this is like. And he writes this afterward to the Philippians and saying... I want you to watch the back of your brothers and sisters like a sentinel. Guard them. Uh, Dick Reeling told me after the first service, he said, when in the Vietnam War, he was a perimeter guard in Vietnam. And he said, I, when you use this word sentinel today, I thought of that. The perimeter guard's main job was to watch for danger, but also to enable the guys to sleep because they knew there was a perimeter guard. And he said, and I had a German shepherd dog, too, that helped me. And... I could then, the guys could sleep because I was the perimeter guard, the sentinel, watching. And that watching over gave them the, the ability to sleep, knowing they're being watched over. I like that. And so this is the word. Uh, Paul says, I want you to, scopia is the word he uses. I want you to look at the back of the, those who are around you and guard them. So there's another rich use of the word sentinel, the word guard. We like the word. We like sentinels. You think about it for a minute. Uh, have you ever been to a swimming pool and seen the lifeguard sitting in the, uh, the little elevated stand, a stool, you know, up there? Uh, everybody loves a lifeguard. Uh, girls love handsome lifeguards and boys love beautiful uh, lifeguards. If you have a lifeguard. But what is a lifeguard? A lifeguard is really a sentinel. He's a sentinel against drowning. So there's a negative side of being a sentinel. You've got to warn against danger. And that's why lifeguards have megaphones and they have whistles to blow and they do a lot of scolding. Yet we, we put up with it. No running. Uh, no, no, no diving there. No, no pushing. 
uh, no glasses by the edge of the pool. Uh, they're guarding. And they're, but they're also positive. Do you have your suntan lotion on? Do you have your sunscreen on? And uh, not too much of it. We don't want too much of it in the pool. But when you're out, okay. So they're guarding you. They're scolding you, warning you, like J- John the Baptist does, you generation of snakes. That's not very nice. But at least he got their attention. And they came and realized we need help. And then he pointed them to the one who has hope. And a lifeguard plays that role. It's a sentinel. A sentinel who guards, who watches what's happening and keeps track. And that's the word that's used positively in the New Testament, too. Uh, and there are consequences. There are consequences. When I was at Cal Berkeley, I, one, of the, one of the things I did for two and a half years is I, I was able, I stumbled into that, but I was able to teach in the swimming department and taught mainly beginner swimming, intermediate swimming in that department. And we had a men's pool then. It was The Harmon Gymnasium pool was all male, and then the Hearst Gymnasium pool was all women. And so the men, when they came into our pool, they were issued briefs. So everybody wore exactly the same kind of swimming suit. They were briefs. And you'd come in to swim. And uh, since we had a lot of beginners trying to learn how to swim, and that was some of the classes I was teaching, because in order to be an NROTC, you had to pass swimming. So we had a lot of guys that couldn't swim but had to learn to swim. So we had a lot of beginners around in that pool, in the men's pool. And we had lifeguards. And I liked what our the head of our department, Jack Hewitt, had an interesting way to test the lifeguards, because there are consequences if you're a lifeguard. And the way we tested them was, if anybody showed up in the pool wearing a different suit than the briefs that the University of California issued to everybody who swam, uh, like, and so somebody with a colorful swimming suit, and that's what he would do. He had a several colorful swimming suits that he'd put on to somebody, and they would jump in the water, and he would time how many minutes it took, or seconds, before the lifeguard was in the water to that person. Because there are consequences. You only have seconds if somebody's going to drown and you have to be there and you have if you miss your job uh, you're going to get fired because there are consequences and that's exactly what Ezekiel hears there are consequences to his sentinel role but he has that role to be a sentinel to warn against danger and when the people begin to realize we're collapsing then to point them to hope there is hope he's not the hope but he gets to point to the hope folks we have an advantage over Ezekiel Ezekiel uh, 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 had the hope that God himself would somehow act in favor of the people. And so we call him a prophet of hope. But we know the man that John the Baptist pointed to. We know who he is. So we have an advantage. We know the hope is not just uh, a political or social upheaval. The hope is a man. And it's the man, Jesus Christ. And in hard times or in good times, we can point to him. And he does the rest. We, our job is to faithfully point, to point to who he is, and to know that he has the answer. We don't, but he does. But we can point to him. I love the opening stanza of George Herbert's poem called The Call. I should tell you about George Herbert. He died in 1620. He was a pastor. He was only 40 years old when he died. He had been a member of parliament, and then he got lost his election, and then he became a pastor. And uh, he wrote beautiful poetry. In fact, C.S. Lewis will call George Herbert one of his top three favorite poets of all time. 
George Herbert. One of his hymns is in our hymn book. But was a great man. And I love his poem called The Call. In that poem, George Herbert is playing the role of a sentinel. And he knows who Jesus Christ is. He knows from John 14, he knows that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He called himself that. He invited the disciples to come, say, don't be, don't be afraid. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'll bring you to the Father. And so George Herbert wrote this poem, and I love it. Listen to it. Come my way, my truth, my life. Such a way as gives us breath. Such a truth as ends all strife. Such a life as killeth death. Did he take you by surprise? That's exactly what Ezekiel gets to tell the people. That God knows how to kill death. No one else can kill death. And we know the man who killed death. Jesus of Nazareth. So, listen to the poem. Come my way, my truth, my life. Such a way as gives us breath. Such a truth as ends all strife. Such a life as killeth death. That's the good news. We get to point to it. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the one who gives us breath. He's the one who ends strife, resolves the strife that's in our own hearts. And he's the one who kills death. No one else can do it. He did it. He did it at the cross and the empty tomb. Lord, thank you that we can point to him. And because of that, there is hope. And there is joy. And there is the wonderful fulfillment that comes from knowing that good shepherd. Lord, bless us. May we be a people who point to life. Point to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.